You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. you got to bite your tongue or bite your lip until it bleeds. And it's difficult. It is very, very difficult at times. You want to lash back, but you got to be so ever careful. When Christ was being crucified, when he was being beaten, when the skin was being ripped off and pulled off by that cat of nine tails, shoving that crown of thorns on his head, and the blood was running down into his eyes, and they were spitting upon his face, and they were smacking him in the mouth saying, who hit you? Prophesize. And they're doing all this thing. Scripture says, didn't say a word. Have you ever been in a situation where the best thing you could do was say nothing at all? Pastor Dave reminds us today of how important it is to keep our tongues in check. Take a lesson straight from Jesus, and when others are nasty to you, kill them with kindness. Don't let them or your tongue get the best of you. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 11, as he continues his message, The King Acts Valiantly. You are Yes, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. But you still need the power. It was time for Saul to act. And God was with Saul, so God sent his Spirit upon Saul. But it didn't come to entertain him. It didn't come to thrill him, to give him goosebumps. It came to equip him for service. The Holy Spirit equips you for service. He equips you to edify the body, to raise the body up towards Christ. The Holy Spirit witnesses Jesus Christ to others. If you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will be witness of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost portions of the world. That's why Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem. Wait for the power, dunamis, dynamite, the dynamic power that was going to come upon you when the Holy Spirit falls on you. Witnesses, that was what the Lord provided for them after he ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit fell upon Saul. The Hebrew word is all, A-L. That's the Hebrew word for coming upon. It's the same thing that it means in the Greek. It came over him and empowered him. It gave him the power to do that thing. Many of us lack the power. Many of us lack the power because we haven't submitted and asked the Holy Spirit to come upon us. We've said this time and time again. At Calvary Chapel, we believe in three distinct experiences with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you, para, before you get saved, and he's with you after you get saved. Yes, he is. But he's with you to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then the Holy Spirit, once you're saved, comes in you, in, E-N. He's in you. He's indwelt to lead you into all truth, to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. And then there's the epi, the epi, when Holy Spirit comes upon you and empowers you. He empowers you to do the work that he's called you to do. See, I've always contended, and I can prove this scripturally time and time again, God will never, ever call you to do something that he will not empower you to do. He will always give you the power to do what he's called you to do. Always. If he tells you to go across the street and stick your head in the mailbox and yell Jesus with all your might, 
He's going to give you the guts and the power to do that. Because he has a purpose in that. He has a purpose to do that. And you know that story. You've heard it from me. God will always give you the power to do that. When you want to, when you want to witness to your downstairs neighbor, and he tells you to go downstairs to witness to your neighbor, and you struggle against that, and you fight against that, and you don't want to go because you're unsure of yourself. But the Lord keeps pounding on you to go downstairs and talk to your neighbor. You go downstairs and talk to your neighbor. And you make a deal with him. And you say, Lord, I'm going to go downstairs. And if he's on the porch, I'll talk to him. So you go downstairs, hoping like heck he's not on the porch. (laughs) And you walk around the corner and guess what? He's sitting right there. And you walk up to him and you go, I don't know why I'm supposed to tell you, but I'm supposed to tell you that Jesus loves you more than anything. And he went to tears. He went to tears. Because that was just what he needed to hear. I did it. That was me I was talking about. And the Holy Spirit asks you to do something. He will empower you to do it and give you the courage and the strength. And that's what's happening to Saul right here. Remember, Saul didn't have a great relationship with God. He didn't have a great relationship with God. He lived five miles away from where Samuel lived, and he didn't know who Samuel was. And all of Israel knew who Samuel was. But Saul didn't. But he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and then he had righteous indignation. He got mad. He couldn't believe that this was happening to his brethren, and he became angry. And this was a good angry. It was a spirit-led anger in Paul. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. But most of our anger is selfish anger. Most of our anger is selfish anger. Here's Paul. Anger is not out of personal sense of hurt. It's out of concern for his brethren, concern for the Lord among his people. So what does he do? Look at verse 7. So he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of the messenger, saying, whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. Wow. Wow. He cuts up the oxen. He sends them out. He was delivering a clear threat to the people of Israel. Although quite mafiaish, he cuts up this oxen and he sends it out. Can you imagine receiving that kind of a draft notice? What's in this package? Ugh. Hey, hon, put this on the fire. <laughs> what a draft notice. But Paul wanted to be clear. He wanted to make it clear that failure to step up Failure to step up in this instance and defend your fellow countrymen was sin. Failure to step up and defend your countrymen was sin. I think it's very wise that Saul did one thing. He aligned himself with Samuel. Everybody loved Samuel. The whole nation thought very, very highly of Samuel. And they loved him. They all respected him. Thus, the nation feared the Lord. I guess so. They feared the Lord when they saw up all this chopped pieces of, of oxen coming towards them. They feared him. And then what's one thing that's extremely great is they all came out, the word says, with one consent. What is that? What is that? Unity. They came out with one mind. They came out as one. They were unified with what they wanted to do. There was unity. There was unity. The blessing when the brethren dwell in unity and are of one. What a beautiful thing that is. We see that it works. Look at verse 8. When he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. 330,000 men gathered and are ready for, for war. 
when those hunks of flesh came by special delivery, they knew that the leader was not messing around. We better take this guy seriously. As he looked out at his oxen going, I got a lot of oxen out there. I better take this guy seriously. He's going to come with an axe and start chopping things down. They knew that the Lord was calling them. They knew that there was a crisis in Jabez Gilead. So they all joined the cause, and they were all of one consent. Let's get these guys. Let's go up there, kick butt and take names, and protect our people. Come on. If they're going to do it to them, guess what? They're going to come down here and do it to us. Let's get them. Verse 9, and they said to the messengers who came, thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. I love that. They were glad. Verse 10 says, therefore the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. Tomorrow you're going to have help. They were glad. Before, they didn't know if anybody was going to save them. Give us seven days, and we're going to send some people out. And if they don't come to help us, well, then I guess we'll have to surrender to what you want to do. They were helpless. They were helpless. They wanted someone to save them. Now, someone was going to save them. Before we were born again, we were unsure of life after death. We were afraid. We were unsure of eternal life. We were stuck in our sin and no way out. We were stuck in the religious box, and we couldn't get out. We tried to work our way out. We tried to work everything we could. But then God provided a way through Jesus Christ. He provided a way back to himself. He knew that we couldn't do it on our own. He knew that we couldn't work at it. He knew we couldn't work for it. And he provided this way for us. And knowing that we have a Savior should make us glad. Should make us glad. I will enter in his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter in his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. Oh, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. What a great song. Rejoicing in salvation. Rejoicing in salvation. Tomorrow we're going to come out to you. Nahash and your big guys, we're going to come out to you and you can do whatever we want to you. Here the men are deceiving Nahash. They're setting him up so that they can be killed. They're speaking as if they will surrender, but they're getting ready for the army to there. You might say they really didn't lie. I mean, after all, the next day they did come out. They just came out with a whole bunch of other men behind them. That's all. <laughs> Saul becomes a master military strategist. He divides them into three companies in verse 11. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Wow. Saul becomes a good military man. He thought out the attack before the battle, and he came they killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. No two of them were left together. Through Saul's action and by God's blessing, the nation was saved. The victory was total. Nahash and his army were totally routed. They were sent away. And look what happens in verse 12 and 13. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he who said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. <laughs> But Saul said, no man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. I like that. Great moment of victory. Great moment of victory. And all the naysayers are probably hiding like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. 
We said something about the king, and now they're going to want to kill us. They're going to want to take us out. But Saul, again, acts very wisely. No man will be put to death this day. He knew this. This was not the time to take revenge on his opponents. Satan failed in his attack and was now trying to attack Israel even in victory. And I must warn you, folks, that sometimes in the midst of victory, you will get attacked. When you least expect it, you will get attacked. You must always be on guard, especially when you're coming home from a retreat or from a mountaintop experience or from a great prayer service or whatever a service, you will get attacked. You are prime targets during that time for an attack. You must have your armor on. You must know the word of God and you must dwell on it richly and be able to defend yourself when the evil one comes. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness three times, the only weapon he had was the word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. The word of God. It is written. No man shall be put to death this day. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. So many times we want to take vengeance. We want to go out and get our comeuppance. We want to get the guys. We want to get them. We want to get those who hurt us. We want to get those who treat us badly. We think they deserve it. And you know what? They probably do. But the Lord clearly says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Be the better person. Be the better person. No one will be put to death today. Hold your tongue. Hold your peace. And let the Lord take care of those who are naysayers. Those who come and want to rout you. Those who want to come against you and cause problems. And you know what? I'm not sitting here telling you how easy it is to hold your tongue. Slippery little devil. But sometimes you got to bite your tongue or bite your lip until it bleeds. And it's difficult. It is very, very difficult at times. You want to lash back, but you got to be so ever careful. When Christ was being crucified, when he was being beaten, when the skin was being ripped off and pulled off by that cat of nine tails, shoving that crown of thorns on his head, and the blood was running down into his eyes, and they were spitting upon his face, and they were smacking him in the mouth saying, who hit you? Prophesize. And they're doing all this thing. Scripture says, didn't say a word. Like a sheep going to slaughter. He didn't say a word. He held his tongue. Satan will attack you any way he can. And from any angle he can, he will use anything and anybody for his resources. Some of your closest friends, your spouses, your kids, your work people, church people, your pastor. He will come against you with anything he can come against you with. He will use that. We must ever be careful, especially in times of great victory. We must always be aware. Today, the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel, it says. The Lord has accomplished salvation. I love that. Saul is not taking credit for anything. Again, Saul's starting out pretty good. He's looking pretty swell right here. He's doing pretty good right now. He's, he's, this is pretty cool. He's passing this test 100%. He looks like a guy who, yeah, you should be king, baby. Yeah, you're the man. The Lord has accomplished salvation today. The Lord accomplished salvation on that cross. We didn't accomplish it. We had nothing to do with it. He did it. He accomplished salvation that week. And then praise Jesus. He rose from the dead to ensure us eternal life. 
Wow. Saul was the man the Lord was raising up to victory, but yet Saul knew better than to claim victory for himself or even for Israel. He didn't claim victory for Israel. He said, the Lord has given us salvation today. It was the Lord who did it. And Saul, at this point, was humble enough to know it. Who do you give your victory to? Who do you claim victory in your house when something goes right? When something goes right, who do you claim victory? When you get that check in the mail, do you go, woo, yeah, thank you for sending me that check? The Lord says, well, geez, I'm the same. I haven't changed. I loved you a minute ago before you got the check. Now, all of a sudden, you're praising a man who gave you a check. Who do you give the victory to? Who is the victory? Who's who's the one you give the victory to? We need to be extremely careful when we start taking credit for ourselves. The Lord has accomplished Israel, points to Jesus Christ, because his name, Yashashua, Jehovah, is salvation. Salvation belongs to Jesus Christ. He accomplished it on that cross. Look what happens. Then Samuel said to the people in verse 14, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Isn't that beautiful? They made king before the Lord. This doesn't mean that Saul wasn't king before, because we talked about this. God anoints and appoints kings. God was the one that anointed him long ago by Samuel. When Samuel poured the oil on his head, when Samuel prayed for him and poured the oil on his head, he was already king then. All that was happening now is that Israel was recognizing it. Israel was recognizing him as king. But there was a sense that he was not king until the whole nation recognized him and then they gave him that recognition. Likewise, Christ is our king. God has anointed him. God set him on the holy hill, and we have gladly ascended to the appointment and made him king and lord of our lives. But sometimes our devotion and loyalty wanes. Sometimes our devotion and loyalty to him wanes. The great F.B. Meyer, who I really like, says, insensibility, we drift from our strenuous endeavor to act always as his devoted subjects. Therefore, we need need from time to time to renew the kingdom and reverently make him king before Lord. There is a sense in which we can concentrate ourselves only once, but we can renew our vows often. I like that. Coming before God with thanksgiving in our heart, with gratitude, coming before him in confession. Lord, I've sinned. I've sinned. Please forgive me. Coming to him with a clean heart, a contrite heart, a broken heart, your heart breaking for what breaks his coming before him, and you want to renew that relationship with him. Maybe you've been away from him for a while. Maybe you've been struggling. Maybe you haven't seen him as who he is. Maybe he hasn't been Lord of your life for a while, but you need to get back to that. You need to come back to the consecration. You need to come back to the foot of the cross. You need to confess your sins and come back to him. And he is lovingly ready to restore you and to love you, to put the royal robe around you, to give the ring on your finger, to kill the fatted calf, and angels in heaven will do somersaults, praising God over your return, praising God. So what do you think unified the nation? We know God unified the nation. That's easy. But I think what really unified the nation, what people saw 
in Saul, say that five times, what people saw in King Saul was a love for them. He genuinely cared for his people. Sending out those, that ox all chopped up. Anyone who doesn't come out and support me and go up there, we're going to get you. We're going to do this to your ox. It's going to be sin to you. That's how much he loved the folks. That's how much he loved these people up in Jabesh Gilead. It was love that was shown to Israel. And it was love that drew them towards Saul as their king. It was the nation that saw a man who cared about them as brethren. Cared about them not as subjects, but as brethren. There's the difference. There's a big difference. And Saul saw them for who they were. And that's why they came and they rallied behind them. We know that love covers the multitude of sin. We know that perfect love casts out all fear. We know that when people are truly loved, and that love is demonstrated in action, there is unity in the Spirit. When you feel love, when you feel God's love, and when that love has flesh on it, it's beautiful. It's a wonderful experience. There's unity. Jesus said, they will know you are mine by the love you demonstrate one to another. And that's a paraphrase. But they will know you're of mine by the love you demonstrate one to another. Not by the miracles you do. Not by all the things you say. Not by how well you know the word of God. Not by how well you teach. Not by this, not by that, not by all those other things. But by the love you show one another. That's how they'll know you're my disciples. That's what Jesus said. You know, if we pray for anything, we should pray for that love. To love your neighbor as yourself. That love, greatest gift of all, love. Power it has over evil. The power it has over wickedness. The power it has over those who are falling away and those who are struggling. Love is incredible. When shown that true love, you just know. And you know when it's fake. But man, when it's so true, you're drawn to that. And I think that's just what the people see in Saul, they saw this love that he had for the nation, and they were drawn to him. They say, yeah, we'll follow you. Now, unfortunately, as we said, you're going to see that this is very short-lived. It's very short-lived, and it's sad, because he started out so well. He started out so well, but it becomes short-lived, and we're going to see as he starts to slide, and God basically has to take the kingdom away from him. I think God wanted him to be a good king. I think God wanted him to, to succeed. I mean, he gave him all the tools necessary. He gave him whatever he needed. He told him, I will be with you, I'll provide with you, and I will give you my Holy Spirit to empower you. He gave him everything he needed. God is giving us everything for life and godliness in Jesus Christ. He's given us everything. And some of us start out so well, but then we start to get rocky and we start to slide. That's when you got to cling to a brother or a sister. That's when you got to make that phone call and call someone for help and prayer. That's when you got to reach out. That's when you got to sing out, hey, I need help. You are We're so glad you joined Pastor Dave Shank today for A Sure Hope. This study in 1 Samuel has been taking you further into God's process of fulfilling promises. 
and it may not look like you'd always want it to. God gave a promise to David when he was young and unequipped to handle the magnitude of what was to come. God still gave him a glimpse to the future though, and we walked with David to help him grow and learn. God's plan included trials along with victories, but he was faithful to David throughout. Right now in our country, we are facing a trial never before experienced. Don't fear, God is as faithful to you now as he was to David. He will bring you through, and you can lean on Him for strength and comfort in the waiting. We'd encourage you to read ahead in 1 Samuel and discover for yourself how God works life out, and let Him encourage you through it. How can we be praying for you during this 1 Samuel study and during this unusual time in history? Please give us a call and let us know at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We are pleased to be able to bring you teachings from God's Word on each edition of Assure Hope. If you'd like to hear more from this series in the book of 1 Samuel, visit assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with friends and family. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to Assure Hope.